Welcome back to the Unbox Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Ali Schwanke, and I'm joined by Travis Scott, who you hear every week here on the podcast. And we're going to actually talk to him today about some of the moving parts that exist inside of the marketing function. So Travis, how are you doing today? Good, good. Flipping the script today. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We're putting you behind the microphone, which I think is always kind of fun as a podcast host when you get to interview folks. And then we get a little bit more of insight into your expertise, as well as some of the things that your problems you're solving in the marketplace. So ready to get going? Absolutely. All right. Well, from the top, what I want to start with is before we started recording, you were really focusing on some of the pillars of operations. And before we go there, I'd like you to kind of take a step back and why is marketing operations or why is this kind of rev ops or the moving pieces inside of marketing becoming such a critical uh, conversation today? Yeah. I mean, I think it's such a critical piece and, and it's never been ignored, but I don't think it's received the, the attention that it needs because if you think about the four pillars of people process data and technology i mean that is the core of of any business uh, especially marketing and sales and especially now where data and technology uh, are such a key piece of that and then the people with the the tight job market finding uh very talented people who can come in and, and kind of hit the ground running and being able to train them, onboarding them. That's part of operations is documentation and building processes that can be repeated. And you can spend less time onboarding and training and get people up to speed. Like I said, the processes are are critical because especially with growing companies, when you're small, you can kind of wing it. You can kind of just, as things come up, you're kind of changing, agile, pivoting. But as you start to grow, as you hire people, things start to become more complex you really need to focus on having solid processes in place so that things don't get dropped, uh, so that things don't go under the radar, uh, that you can provide a consistent experience so that your team knows what to do. Because that's a big job satisfaction piece is a lot of people leave roles because there's too much uncertainty. uh, There's too much ambiguity. And I know when I worked at Microsoft, that used to be like a, a selling point. Like you have to be able to deal with ambiguity. Well, why? Like that's that stresses people out. So why don't you fix that piece, right? So people don't have to deal with ambiguity, and you might retain more people. So, so I mean, I think that's why it's so important. And it basically, when you have core objectives, those are the pillars that will help you achieve those. So it's interesting you say that because what I've discovered, I wonder if you've discovered the same is. A lot of times when people need to get things done, they acknowledge these things. They acknowledge the the need for those four pillars, but it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll deal with that later. Like for now, I just need you to, how do you suggest, or how have you overcome some of those uh, desires to go fast, but then really take the time to do these kind of like rather unsexy things? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think you just have to spend the time to build them. And then when you want to go fast and something's holding you back, figure out, why can we cut something is something unnecessary or what is the reason and i also think that if you are moving fast the chances of screwing something up go up tremendously and so it's it's hard to have the mentality of wanting to go fast but slowing down to do something right so you don't have to do it again and so i think it's just the opportunity cost and, and the value of your time of 
is it more valuable to do this once, build it once, and then reuse it? And the more I reuse it, the faster I'll get, the faster I can go, the more consistent it'll be. And the odds of screwing something up and then having to do it again, which is going to cost you a ton more time and customer satisfaction will tank. What's the price of that? And so I, I think that's just the way you have to think about it is what if this screws up and I went too fast? What's that going to do? Right. Yeah. That's funny that you mentioned that. Anytime I think about small organizations and even startups, like you are, you are conditioned to kind of move fast and break things. And the more complicated or more like larger the organization is the tactics and methods that you use to first get off the ground cannot be sustained as you add up people and that complexity and you add customers that want consistent delivery of product as opposed to pivoting every six months. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you're consistently, it sounds like retraining and realigning everybody around what those layers of command and process should be. Is that what you're saying? Yep. And I mean, it's just anything else, right? Like if you can implement a, a build it once and use it forever, I think that's going to help. But I also think, why do you have to move so fast? What's the real reason? Because I think if you're trying to build a sustainable company that will outlive you, that will grow and become something that, that will be impactful for a lot of people in the future, slow down a little bit, get it right, build something remarkable, not something fast and shitty. I mean, I, I get the whole move fast and break, like uh, break things and that's cool and all, but can you imagine like if everybody in your company is moving fast and breaking things, like how much of a mess that's going to create instead of like getting people on the same page, moving intentionally and building something remarkable. I'd rather do that than go fast and break things and then have to clean it up and waste a lot more time. I think there's just, I think that's how you just waste a ton of time really. So. Yeah. Do you see any sort of behavior with clients or, or some of the work you've done in the past coming out in the way that marketing is always changing. Why would I document this now? How do you overcome that? Or if you've heard of that, how do you address that? Yeah. I mean, it is always changing. Um, but is it changing for the better all the time? I mean, it's one thing, but I think a lot of people have kind of shiny object syndrome where they hear other people using something and they feel some FOMO and they've got to use it, whether the thing they're using now is working just fine. And, and I think as the MarTech stack and the sales tech stack uh, matures, the additional value of new products, and, and I think the cost to switch is higher, uh, just in lost time and training and getting up to speed and b- updating your processes. So, so I really think like you should just stop and think about what real advantages will this change in technology have? What's the marginal gain? And is that worth the disruption that it'll cause Mm -hmm. and go from there? Because yeah, it will. You will have to redo your processes, but also think about onboarding people and training people. People want to be trained. They don't just want to be, it's not the market where people are just glad to have a job and, oh, thank you for hiring me. Um, Mm -hmm. Sure. Please throw me to the wolves and and (laughs) let me just figure it out on my own. Right. They want to be trained and they want to be trained continuously. And so I think with documented processes, building that out, you're almost building a how-to guide that someone who's starting, I mean, it's almost think of yourself as a franchise and and how can you do these things repeatable? Like McDonald's wouldn't exist if they just said, well, 
we're not going to document anything and share it with our franchisees because things are always changing. We might get a new soda machine and then we got to redo all of our documentation. Like that's part of their business. That's how they operate so efficiently, so fast and, uh, and can scale because they understand that consistency, doing things right, eliminating bottlenecks, eliminating mistakes is, is key to long-term, long-term growth. So, yeah. So in the work that you do with your clients, I guess, is there a, we've talked a little bit about documentation, maybe lack thereof. Are there other signs or symptoms or issues that you find when perhaps the goal is we want to, we want to get more leads. We want to have better website traffic, whatever the end result is, but you see in a middle like marketing operations function that's preventing that from actually occurring. I, mean, I think a lot of times it's friction. What is the friction and what kind of leads are you trying to get? I think that comes down to, you know, whenever you're talking about leads, I think one of the most common issues is just the lack of communication between sales and marketing about what is a good lead. If marketing is just tasked with uh, producing leads, you'll get leads. It's just whatever the behavior you're seeking and you reward mm-hmm. for, you'll get. And is that really beneficial to the company? I think that's where having clear objectives from the top that you push down help with that uh, and, and then aligning sales and marketing in a way that it's not a volume lead thing, right? And then when it doesn't become a, a volume thing, it becomes a quality thing. And then it becomes a demand gen thing, an education thing, having that all in place so people can figure out what you do. Uh, because 70% of people already have a good idea about what you do before they are ready to talk to you, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know where that stat is, but I've seen it recently. And so having that in place is more important. And, and a lot of times it's friction. I think that's a, a big core component of ops is you're removing friction wherever you can. Friction mm-hmm. in your processes, are there bottlenecks? Are there manual processes that you could automate? So removing that friction, but also from a marketing ops perspective, are you removing friction from the leads who want to talk to you? Mm-hmm. Are you gating way too much? They don't really want to be a part of your newsletter, but if you're gating it just so you can add them to your newsletter or they don't want to talk to your sales team yet, if you're gating just to push somebody to sales that doesn't want to talk to them, is that effective? Is that a good use of everybody's time? Is that just creating friction for sales and friction for the, the customer? If so, eliminate it, right? Make it as easy as possible for people to get information then as easy as possible for someone to book a demo book, a, a meeting once they're ready, qualified, sales ready, uh, and figure out also how you can determine that. So yeah, I think that's where it's a huge opportunity for companies, but also a big challenge for companies. Yeah. Friction is a really good point. I think if you, like I love science and if you just do an experiment where you roll a ball down the hall and it's on a a nice slick floor, as opposed to rolling in a carpet, it's just going to go faster. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes figuratively, we need to look at those things because it is, it does exist like that when you have to go all the way back up to the C-suite to have a different understanding of what leads mean across the company. And even just to have that conversation can be pulling teeth sometimes. Mm -hmm. And the marketing and sales team, I think the, the the concept you're bringing up is really having more conversations internally as part of your process instead of here's the marching orders for everybody now go and then everybody ends up just really they don't partner together not because they don't want to but because everyone's trying so hard to hit this 
definition of leads that it actually is, is what, 10, 15 years old. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, I think it's a place for marketing to hide because technology's made it so easy to generate leads more so in the past. You know, it used to just be sales, hop on the phone, start calling Mm -hmm. people back in the day. Right now we've got forms and it's so easy to capture leads and whether they want to talk to you or not, whether they Mm -hmm. want your emails or not. Um, and so I think for a long time, marketing has been hiding behind that of, Hey, look how many leads we generated and sales is like, these are crap. And mm-hmm. that's been going on forever. So, but still that's what marketing has helped to. How many leads did you produce? You go to the craziest thing is going, spending all this money, going to a trade show and scanning badges and you come back and like some rando comes up and you scan, can I scan your badge just so you can go back and say, look how many leads I got. This guy was mm-hmm like a competitor and mm-hmm. you're counting it toward your leads. And I think that's kind of also the, the digital mentality that we have. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, it's just kind of crazy. That's what we're still operating under. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about that too, with the trade show example is if we think about leads as numbers, it, it's much different than if we think about them being, Oh, that was a person and these are their interests. And this is why they were at the show and Oh, they like, motorcycles and and whatever else, because then we start to create a meaningful relationship with them. And that should be what sales is doing. That's the one thing marketing can't replace is that kind of human um, contact. So I guess for folks that maybe are like, some of these things sound familiar, but they've never really called them, let's say rev ops or marketing ops. How would you go about kind of auditing the friction, I guess, in your organization? I mean, first thing is probably start with the objectives. What as an organization for the year, what are you trying to achieve? Is it a revenue? Is it profitability? <clears throat> is it several things? And then clearly defining what that is. And then start to look at, okay, this is what we're all as a company trying to achieve. If it's a certain profitability, you can start to look at, okay, whatever, what are our costs? Where are our inefficiencies everywhere? I and mean, if it's revenue, what can we do to increase that? So what, what's our current customer base look like. And so what does customer success need to do to expand that, retain that lower churn? And and what does that look like? And so then you start to build metrics and processes to enhance that again. And then also for efficiencies to save time and and money. And then look at the technology. What's the technology that we have? Is it bloated? Are we overspending on things that we have three different platforms that do similar things? Can we cut some things? Can we find something better that replaces all of them. And then the people, do we have the right people in place? If not, how do we fix that? And then what are our processes? And I think really, before you even look at tech, you got to look at your processes because it's kind of like, if you think at at a very small scale, automation sounds great. sounds like it saves you a lot of time, but if you're automating processes that are garbage, it's going to create a big mess. So Mm -hmm. whether you're doing automation, whether it's a process for anything else, understand like how it's working. Is it working the way it should? Are there any bottlenecks that are holding things up like manual processes that you could automate, that you could change or change SLAs between sales and marketing to speed things up? Like what's going on there? And then look at the technology and say, how can we use technology to improve this, to speed things up, to automate things, save more time, have our people focus on people things that require thinking instead of just doing that, I, that you can automate. Right. 
So I think you would just audit all of those pieces and look at friction. Really, that's what you're trying to identify. Where is friction toward achieving this objective? Uh, Where is friction toward allowing people to very easily find information to learn if you're for them or not? And if you are, where's friction in allowing them to just schedule time with a BDR salesperson? Uh, Where's friction between marketing and sales? What's that handoff look like? What's the SLA look like? Are you tracking marketing to revenue. I mean, I think that's huge and it is a difficult thing to do, but if you can build the closed loop reporting to do that, now marketing takes on a whole new look, a whole new focus, and it's easier for them to understand and have that decision tree in their head of, will this help drive revenue? Is this going to be a quality lead that's ready to buy? Am I getting the right message out to the right people so that they are attracted and they are making the decision? And I think that's just a very key component that not enough companies focus on on closing that loop. Yeah. I mean, to your point, there's a lot of sources of friction, even just if you put yourself in the, the shoes of the customer and you go through your forms and realize, why did we ask them that question at that point? I know for myself, if I was speaking at a conference and I talked about how there was a software that I was signing up for and they asked for my birth date and it just seemed odd and weird that you would need my birth date at the point that I was signing up. It wasn't like an alcohol company. It didn't need to know that I was 21. And so without the explanation of what they were going to use that for, I decided this is weird. Like I'm not going to continue the, the process. And it was something as simple as that or like yesterday I signed up to join and maybe it was just a fluke, but I signed up to join the Lowe's email list. Cause I was going to shop at Lowe's. I didn't realize they had an app. And so I'm just, if I can shop in the app, great. It saves my purchases and I'm forever having like random stuff in my car. Right. But the email that I got to welcome me did not fit on my mobile screen. It was, I had to like try and figure out how to scroll and make size it down. And all those little things just create more work me as the customer. And it just creates an additional opportunity for me to say, you know what? Home Depot is great. Their app is great. I was ordering like, I don't know, mulch. I was trying to bulk order mulch and Home Depot doesn't let you do that, but I would still just be like, okay, it's fine. I'll just go to the store and Lowe's is now off the list for that. So I think it's sometimes we underestimate how much impact these little sources of friction can have. And then when you multiply those by both external and internal, it really does become a which one of these can we solve first? We don't solve all of them at once. Which one of these do we solve first? And then sometimes, like you've seen this, you don't see those unless you're an outside you know, consultant or an external party. So uh, have you seen situations like that where you've come in and quickly identified something that people didn't notice internally? That's a good question. I think it, being in, in organizations of, and especially coming into a new organization as, a, as an employee, or I mean, what, the one thing that friction is really good at is creating fires. Mm-hmm. And I think if you've got a lot of fires that people feel like they're just putting out fires and especially from an ops perspective, if from an ops perspective, you're not able to focus most of your time on strategy and building um, and architecting smart designs and it's all firefighting, then you've got too much friction, right? And so I think that's a big thing is like people just get used to fighting fires. They think it's just that's how it's supposed to be. And this is how business happens. And it's just part of it, but it's really not. And so if you're putting out a lot of fires, there's friction. And I think I've seen that a lot, right? Like I come in and people are just running around, they're stressed out, they're, you know, canceling meetings and putting out a fire. It's like, well, where's the friction that's creating that heat and building that fire and that's causing problems. 
Yeah. I love that. I think the illustration of obviously you need friction to create fire, but I love that both literal and figurative um, analogy because it is true when you stop putting out fires, sometimes people feel less valued because there isn't something like right in the moment and it feels uncomfortable. It's almost like you don't know the value of a good consultant until you reflect on what actually happened. Cause you always feel like a superhero when you're saving the day and putting out a fire, but you don't feel as valuable when things are going well. Exactly. And I think that's why, and this is an assertion. It's not proven. There's no research, but I think so many people, I think strategy is a tough thing for people to wrap mm-hmm. their head around. They're so tactic focused. I and mean, we kind of talked a little bit about this before we hit record that I think the reason people struggle with strategy is because they never have enough time to just sit and think mm-hmm. because strategy takes thinking and it takes deep thinking. And if you're just putting out fires all the time, when are you going to have that time? And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I think that's why just so many people struggle with being strategic or thinking strategically because they never have the time to mm-hmm. do that. Well, and that also kind of boils down to the way folks, and, and I will put myself in this camp where every time I do it and I sit down and put time behind it to find the insights. And I, I look through, let's say our customer list or our, our client's customer list. And I say, Oh, I didn't realize this. They have these things in common or wow. If something comes out and that little insight is worth a discussion with actually prompts a whole new opportunity that in our normal firefighting tactic driven mode, you would have completely overlooked that. So some of it's like building in the practice of as an operational function, we need to stop and do X and it's some of it's the unsexy stuff. Like we need to review our naming conventions within our marketing um, automation function every six months, or we need to, this is something that, that I've gotten better at with us is every 12 months, we need to renew review what SaaS products we're using, why we're using them, when the renewal date is, how many seats we have, because all of a sudden, oh my goodness, SaaS product XYZ is up for renewal. And we have 30 days to make that decision. And then like companies like ours, where we help folks with HubSpot, they're like, oh my gosh, we have a renewal in 30 days. And we're like, well, you're not going to make any big changes in 30 days that aren't going to cost you more than the renewal price. So I think that's, again, it's one of those, sometimes we have to learn in hindsight, but I imagine you probably see that with your clients as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, what sort of advice would you have for folks that are looking to get maybe started in, in doing some of that auditing or really leveling up their, with the stuff inside of that marketing department? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the most important thing you can do is, is start with processes because no matter what size of company you are building out processes, building out how you do things repetitively. I mean, I'm dealing with this now and it's hard. It's really hard because I'm building a business and I'm, focused on the projects that I'm doing for people and and all the things that come up throughout the day. And what I really need to do is block off Fridays and say on Fridays, I need to work on my business, building processes, even though I'm one person and then one person who hires teams of people for projects, I need to build processes. I need to build processes for like, I've got two proposals to do today. And I have not taken the time to sit down in PandaDoc and create templates that can turn and burn based on whatever the product service is I'm offering. 
and I do it from scratch, I copy and paste, but I'm still building it from scratch. And I could save so much time if I just had it there, had everything ready to go, changed a few things, maybe had a paragraph that might be different for each client based on the SOW. And it wouldn't be this big daunting thing that it is because it's hanging over me. It's like, it's Friday and I'd much rather like, I don't know, hang with my kids at two o'clock, but I'm going to be building out proposals almost from scratch. And then having a process for content. I need that. Um, Building out a, a content calendar with themes every day would just make my life so much easier, but I wing it because I'm busy in projects, right? And I would start with that. First and foremost, uh, unless you've got a people problem, if you're bleeding people, start there, (laughs) figure out what's going on, right? Stop that. Uh, And and maybe it is processes. Your processes suck. Everything's too ambiguous and you're losing people because of that. So so I would start with processes and people second, and then then your technology and then your data, really. Um, Yeah, the good thing about starting with processes is what I found is processes will often illuminate the other problems Mm -hmm. that you have throughout the organization. So if you create a process and the person that you need to do task XYZ is not the right person on your team, okay, that's a conversation. Or if you look at the process and go, this is a lot more complicated than it should be. Can we use technology to do any of this? And then you start to, to go find the technology to help you with the process versus this is really cool. What can I use it for? Which is, right. I, I think it'd be weird if like all the appliances on our house, we boxed, they were cool. And then we're like, what can I make with this? Like, that would be weird. Like, I think this might be able to, to brown a piece of bread. I'm not sure. No, I bought a toaster because I want to toast my bread. So Cool. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up. Travis, thanks for sharing your knowledge today. Obviously, folks know as a co-host here of the show, they know where to find you. But I do think that if you have any questions or or you're looking to build out processes, it looks like, Travis, you've done a lot of that when you were at Microsoft as well and are working on that in the trenches now. So I'm sure you can share some wins as well as some current challenges with folks. So feel free to reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can find me on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter, 509Marketer. And where can they find, find you? Um, yeah, I, I'm the only Ali Schwanke in the world that I know of, unless there's some doppelgangers out there, but you can find me over on Twitter, pretty active uh, at Ali Schwanke and then LinkedIn as well. And stay tuned. The next couple of weeks, we have some pretty good shows coming out. We have an interview with Smartbog. We have contact from Demand Gen, and we've got some other really good marketing leaders in the backlog from Miranda, Kyle Lacey, and um, a head of marketing and Captivate Talent. So definitely check those out if you haven't, and we will see you all next week. And that wraps up this edition of Marketing Unboxed. Just want to thank you for listening and thank you for continuing to tune in. If you enjoyed the show, if you enjoy the podcast, please give it a review on Apple. I think you could do the same thing on Spotify. And if it's something you can do uh, on any other platform, please do it. I really appreciate it. It just helps and get the word out. And until next time, I'm out.